0: This is Flita with Women Ministering, a place for people changing the world by sharing God's love. And today is our last segment of Psalm 119, and it's called 10 Best Ways to Follow God's Plan for Your Life. As you know, this is the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter of the Bible, but in it we find the wisdom of a man after God's own heart. Um, This incredible psalm has had books written about it and all kinds of things and I want to read you some quotes. The first one is from Charles Spurgeon and this is what he said, part of what he said about Psalm 119. This wonderful psalm from its great length helps us to wonder at the immensity of scripture. From its keeping to one subject, it helps us to adore the unity of scripture for it is but one. Yet from the many turns it gives to the same thought, it helps you to see the variety of Scripture. Some have said that in it there is an absence of variety, but that is merely the observation of those who have not studied it. I have weighed each word and looked at each syllable with lengthened meditation, and I bear witness that this sacred song has no tautology in it, but is charmingly varied from beginning to end. Its variety is that of a kaleidoscope. From a few objects, a boundless variation is produced. In the kaleidoscope, you look once and there is a strangely beautiful form. You shift the glass a very little and another shape, equally delicate and beautiful, is before your eyes. So it is here. Um, The Blue Letter Bible says this, Being such a long psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, this psalm has been of some historical note. There have been many lengthy works written on this psalm, one of them by Thomas Manton, a Puritan preacher and writer, who wrote a three-volume work on Psalm 119. Each volume is between 500 and 600 pages, with a total of 1,677 pages. There are 190 chapters in his work, more than one chapter for each verse. And here was what Martin Luther said about this psalm. He said that he prized this psalm so highly that he would not take the whole world in exchange for for one leaf of it. So this really is an amazing piece of work, and I love the description that Spurgeon gave of it because, yes, at first glance it might appear to be repetitive, but if you really look at it, each section, each verse gives a slightly different view of this subject. And so, We'll start with verses 161 through 164 out of the Passion Translation. The Hebrew words are sin and shin, and the title is devoted to your word. The powerful elite have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart trembles in awe because of your miracle words. Your promises are the source of my bubbling joy. The revelation of your word thrills me like one who has discovered hidden treasure. I despise every lie and hate every falsehood, for I'm passionate about keeping your precepts. I stop to praise you seven times a day, all because your ways are perfect. The psalmist is so expressive as he sends out all these words to God. He displays emotion and every thought that's in his heart. And while, as we see, this psalm has been the subject of a lot of commentary, it's also safe to say that this psalm should not be underestimated. Its value is tremendous. Each section gives insight and revelation about the word and about our relationship to it. And in the verses above, we saw an example of that. The psalmist does this contrast a lot through Psalm 119, where here he points out something God does, and then what the result of that is, his response to it. For instance, he says miracle words equal a trembling heart. God's promises equal bubbling joy. God's words equal a thrill, like finding hidden treasure. God's precepts equal a passion to hate lies and disobedience, and God's perfect ways equal a lifestyle of praises. So our first way to know God's will for our life and our path is to continually stir our awe of the word. He says, "...the powerful elite have persecuted me without cause, but my heart trembles in awe because of your miracle words." So how does that help you follow God's plan for your life? Well, here is is someone who followed God for his whole life. David followed God very imperfectly, and his imperfections are spelled out in the word. And yet, at the same time, he was called a man after God's own heart. I mean, he did some bad things. He had a man killed. He committed adultery. Um, And the whole nation knew about what he did. I, you know, that's... That's pretty bad, but yet it didn't matter to him. He also repented fully and openly, wrote a psalm that's been read now for thousands of years by millions of people, and he didn't care. He openly repented and openly showed his love for God. Um, He knew his calling to be king from the time he was a boy, and yet he had to wait for years for that to come true. And during that time, he was hunted and persecuted, but he never turned away from God and he never gave up. And you know, it happens that way that God tells us to do something and then years will go by with no sign of fulfillment. And the thing is, you, you maybe couldn't even force it to happen if you tried. But here we have David's example of faithfulness without losing his passion And that's one that we need to emulate. That's how you're going to know God's plan for your life is don't lose your passion. His heart trembled, and even in persecution, he maintained his passion. Your second way to know God's plan for your or path for your life is continually find joy and revelation in his promises. The psalmist says, your promises are the source of my bubbling joy. The revelation of your word thrills me like one who discovered hidden treasure. And I know there's times when reading the Bible can just be a chore that you're trying to accomplish. It feels dead, dry. Um, We go through times in our lives where prayer and reading and obedience are just motions we go through. Or sometimes we stop doing them. And I'm sure that the psalmist, just like us, went through those same valleys. But we need to persevere in those dry times because that's when we need the word the most. And I really think that's what the psalmist is trying to say here. He may have been saying these things to really stir up the passion that he knew it was somewhere, but right at the moment, maybe it wasn't so easy to find, but he was still proclaiming his passion for God's word rather than expressing negative feelings. Um, sometimes we read those verses and they seem like they're impossible because how, have we, how we feel, but we have to know that how we feel is not how we judge our spiritual condition. Obedience is And where your heart is set are the true gauges. And that's what the psalmist was saying. Regardless of how I feel, I have a passion for your word. It's there. I'm going to obey your word no matter what. Um, He even says he's being persecuted without cause. And that had to elicit some kind of negative feelings. I mean, David's own, one of his own sons tried to kill him. But the key is that he didn't give up on his intense study of God's word, his obedience and stirring up that flame or clinging to God's truth. Regardless of his circumstances or his feelings, he didn't waver. Your third way to know God's path for your life is to maintain a passion to obey He said, I despise every lie and hate every falsehood, for I'm passionate about keeping your precepts. To do the positive, sometimes we have to contrast it with the negative. And the psalmist was looking at the lies and falsehoods, maybe ones that were being said about him, and he hated them in contrast to his passion for God's truth. And all the way through, we see someone who's deep, who deeply and passionately loves God's truth, his promises, his words. And seeing the results of lies and falsehoods, he was passionate to live in the opposite way, in God's truth, to obey. The fourth way to know God's path for your life is to never stop praising He said, I stop to praise you seven times a day, all because your ways are perfect. If it was David that wrote Psalm 119, we know that praise and worship were, they were his life from the time he was a boy until the time he died. He was a worshiper in every sense of the word. He wrote psalms, he played instruments, he sang songs, he danced out in public before God and and the whole world. um, He was, praise and worship were his life, and they should be a continual and regular part of every Christian's life. Praise isn't just meant for Sunday morning. Um, It's a lifestyle that will lead you directly into God's plan for your life if you exercise it regularly. And here he's saying that this is a regular habit, seven times a day. Now, whether that was literal or metaphorical, I don't know. But I do know that it is an example for us to follow. The fifth way to know God's plan for your life is to guard yourself against offenses. In, in verse 165, he said, There is such a great peace and well-being that comes to the lovers of your word, and they will never be offended. You know, offenses come as easily as the wind does. And I have seen churches split, longtime friends separated, and ministries lost over offenses. And there is a wonderful book about fe- offenses. There's no way that I can elaborate on that subject as well as this person has done. And that book is called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. Um, You can go purchase it from Christian Book or Amazon. You can go to my blog, and I have a link for it in this blog. But I will tell you that it is a wonderful book on that subject, on offenses, and that offenses are the bait of Satan. It's, It's his worm on the hook, and if you take it and you're hooked, you can be controlled by it. So what is an offense? The dictionary defines it as an annoyance or resentment brought about by a perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standards or principles. Churches can split over the color of the carpet because that choice is perceived by somebody as an insult because their preferences were more important to them than the unity of the body of Christ. These are Christians who read the Bible, who see in the New Testament exhortation after exhortation to unity among the people of God, and yet they take up offenses because their preference, their way, their standard, they choose to put that above loving your brother, they put it above Jesus' commandment to love one another in the same way that he loved us. And if anyone had a reason to be offended, it was Jesus. He had every reason to be offended by us, to turn away and to say, I'm done with you. But he didn't. And in my experience, most offenses rise up over preferences, things like the kind of music, the way the pastor preaches, and just just stuff like that. Offenses bring destruction, and they are pointless. They don't accomplish anything good. There's nothing positive about them. If you take one up, if you take up an offense, you need to lay it down at Jesus' feet very quickly. The psalmist stays away from offenses by being a lover of the word. We need to keep our focus there and remember that we are servants of all, just like Jesus was. And again, I just ask, I can't go into everything about offenses here, but please, if you haven't read it, By the Bait of Satan, B-A-I-T, by John Bevere, B-E-V-E-R-E. Your sixth way to know God's path for you is to do what pleases him. In verses 166 to 168, he says, Lord, I'm longing for more of your salvation, for I want to do what pleases you. My love for your ways is indescribable. In my innermost being, I want to follow them perfectly. I will keep your instructions and follow your counsel. All my ways are an open book before you. So how do you know what pleases God? Well, look at verses 167 through 168. First of all, have an indescribable love for God and his ways. Desire his ways perfectly. Keep his instructions, follow his counsel, and keep your life as an open book before him. Doing what pleases God will definitely keep you in the path for your life. It's easy to know what pleases him as long as you focus on obedience to even the simplest things like Jesus' new commandment, to love each other the same way I love you. And that is the crux of it. That's how to follow God's plan and path for your life. Um, the next section, verses 169 to 160, 176, the Hebrew word is ta and the title is I Want to Follow You. Lord, listen to my prayer. It's like a sacrifice I bring you. I must have more revelation of your word. Take my words to heart when I ask you, Lord. Rescue me, just like you promised. I offer you my joyous praise for all that you've taught me. Your wonderful words will become my song of worship for everything you've commanded is perfect and true. Place your hands of strength and favor upon me, for I've made my choice to follow your ways. I wait for your deliverance, O Lord, for your words thrill me like nothing else. Invigorate my life so that I can praise you even more, and may your truth be my strength. I will never forget what you taught me, Lord. But when I wander off, wander off and lose my way, come after me, for I am your beloved. Okay, let's look at just verses 169 to 170. Lord, listen to my prayer. It's like a sacrifice I bring to you. I must have more revelation of your word. Take my words to heart when I ask you, Lord. Rescue me, just like you promised. He um, asks God to listen to him a lot. And as we saw in in chapter 5, his relationship with God is easy and relaxed, but it's never arrogant. He easily asks and reverently worships. And in this verse, he asks God to listen. He's offering his prayer as a sacrifice, and he makes a faith statement because, again, his goal is revelation, and he's desperate to know God as deeply as he can. He also asks God to take his request to heart, and I I thought that was interesting. He's like, you know, don't just blow me off here, God. I want you to really take this to heart. I'm serious. He needs to be rescued. Here on earth, um, a lot of times our words are disregarded. We feel like people just, oh yeah, uh-huh. But since God isn't like us in this way, he takes every prayer straight into his heart. We don't have to worry about that. He collects our tears in a bottle. He knows the number of hairs on our head. We must strive to know as we are known, and it's done through prayer and worship. The eighth way to know God's path for your life is to sing songs of worship. He says, I offer you my joyous praise for all you've taught me. Your wonderful words have become my songs of worship. He mentions praise and worship again. And praise is usually an expression of what God has done, and worship more often refers to who God is. We need both. We need to praise him for what he has done, for sure, for all of his marvelous works. And it's so necessary because it keeps us looking at the positive. God only does good, so if we're praising him, we're focusing on the good. But what about God as God, as a person, our Father, our Savior, our everything? Um, We all like to hear compliments about ourselves, we might kind of say, oh, yeah, no. But really, we kind of like to hear it. But even more deeply, we need to know that we're valued and treasured for who we are. So we need to extol and worship who God is. Who is he to you? What is he to you? And that's important. He is love. He is mercy. He's omnipotent, present omnipres- omnipresent and omniscient. In other words, he's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. And that's just the beginning of who he is. So if you can't think of what to say to praise him and to worship him, just go to the Psalms and start using them like a book of worship. There's a mixture of praise and worship all the way through. And once you get started, um, you'll find that you have your own words as well. The ninth way... To be able to know God's plan and path for your life is to live in his strength. The psalmist asks God to place his hands of strength and favor on him because he's made a choice to follow God's ways. He says, I want your deliverance, for your words thrill me night like nothing else. Invigorate my life so I can praise you even more. It takes strength to be a Christian. And he says, may your truth be my strength. Not only are we in the world, but we're also of the kingdom, and it's kind of like being in two places at once. Um, We experience everything about the world, the good and the bad, but we also are experiencing kingdom life at the same time. We're a spirit living in the flesh, and it takes supernatural strength to do something supernatural while living in two places at the same time. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We are Christ's, and yet our flesh is earthbound. We don't escape the trials of the world, but instead they're used to make us more like Christ. They're used in the spiritual realm to build us and change us. The psalmist straddles those two worlds through prayer and asking God to put his hands of strength and favor on him. Why? Why? because he's made a choice to follow God and he's well aware that only God's strength is going to get him through. And he maintains his excitement for God's word but relies on God to invigorate, which means to give strength and energy, to invigorate his life so that he can praise God even more. And he adds that he also receives strength from God's truth. And your 10th way to know God's path for your life is to never forget you are God's beloved child. The last verse, he says, I'll never forget what you've taught me, Lord. But when I wander off and lose my way, come after me, for I am your beloved. The final statement of this psalm, I will never forget. And we need to make that same vow. Never forget what he teaches us knowing we might wander, but fully realizing that God will come after us. Why? Because we are his beloved. I am his beloved. You are his beloved. You know, we say we love somebody very easily. It's a very common, you know, love you type of thing that we say. But beloved or dearly loved is different. I tell friends at church I love them, and they say the same thing back because we share a brotherly love. But dearly loved wouldn't be used in that same way. I dearly love my family and a few friends. It's a deeper love. We are God's beloved children. He loves us the way we love our children. We would die for them. We would do anything for them. We're his sheep and he leaves the 99 to search for the one who strayed away because that one is dearly loved. And it's easy for us to forget how much God loves us because of the world around us and how fickle love is here on this earth. But we have to remember that God is nothing like that. So here are your 10 best ways to follow God's plan for your life. Number one, Continually stir your awe of the word. 2. Continually find joy and revelation in God's promises. 3. Maintain a passion to obey. 4. Never stop praising. 5. Guard yourself against offenses. 6. Do what pleases God. 7. Maintain a life of prayer. 8. Sing songs of worship. Nine, live in God's strength. And ten, never forget you are God's beloved child. Now, I hope you can see how these ten points will enable you to follow God's wonderful, marvelous plan for your life. If you're doing these things, you won't be able to miss God's plan for your life. The psalmist has given us such an incredible example and guidance in being followers so whenever you need inspiration, just go to Psalm 119 and follow the passion of the psalmist. His unrelenting passion for God, the word, truth, and all of God's ways will get you back on the right path again. And again, I pray that you have been blessed by this study. Um, on the blog, if you go to this particular blog about the 10 best ways to follow God's plan for your life. Down at the bottom there is a link to all of the to the other five blogs so that you can read all of them. Also, um, there is an ebook on the study of Psalm 119 that is free for the month of February. It's out on the uh, website. You can go to ministry resources and down to Bible studies and then down to Psalm 119. And it is free for one month, and then after that it will be a paid resource. So that's February of 2020. It will be free, and then after that um, you will have to purchase it. But you can go and read the five blogs for free. And I want to thank you for listening to this series. I hope that it blessed you as much as it did me. And God bless you, and goodbye. I'll see you again soon.